returned from the, the desert, if you will, those 40 days of, of uh, not eating or drinking, fasting, then Satan taking them on with three pretty dominating type of issues, and somehow Jesus, which we knew he wouldn't fail, comes through with flying colors, and then it was on to the next thing, and really unfolding the ministry as it just begins to get, take, take weight, if you will. And you can see the, the building of the course of, of the action of people beginning to... Did you hear about Jesus? Have, have you heard about this guy that... Well, he's, he's around Galilee now. He's, he's living in Capernaum. Have, have you guys seen him or heard of him? And you can just see the gathering. And then he starts getting disciples. He finds those that are following, that are interested in following. He just addresses them. And now he's got his first followers. So what's the first thing he's going to say? That's what I'm interested in. What's the first sermon? What's the first message that he's going to unfold for these people now that are gathering? You've got an idea in chapter 5 and verse 1. Seeing the multitudes, a large, large group, and he would have went up into this mountain, which is above the Sea of Galilee, and he sat down. And he begins to speak. And the first word out of his mouth is, Blessed. Now, that's a word I, I didn't have time, or didn't make time. I guess you always have time if you make it. I didn't count how many times the word bless or blessed shows up in the scriptures. But I'm here to tell you, a lot. <laughs> and no one would argue the point, possibly. What does blessed mean? What does that word mean? One of the things that's even described of God himself. If you take your Bibles, we'll look at just a couple of instances of that. Uh, Psalm. Let's go back to the book of Psalms for a moment. Psalms chapter 72 and verse 18. Psalm 72 and verse 18 says this of God himself. 72 verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. Chapter 119 of the same Psalms. Chapter 119 and verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. And we could go to numerous other occasions and seeing that literally God himself is described as blessed or to bless. Well, does that help us? You notice back in Matthew, turning back to Matthew chapter 5, you find that there for that course of that beginning of this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which you know, the Beatitudes, uh, another word that's describing for it. And from verses 3 through verses 12, you just see it continually. You see, blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. And literally, that word blessed means to be having perfect happiness. How many of you have ever experienced perfect happiness? Now, if I say happy, in fact, some of you were just already, when I mentioned this at the beginning of this, he's going to talk about happiness. That's kind of that fleeting, whimsical, just a moment, just a speck in time where it felt really good and then it's gone. And you've had those moments, haven't you? It's almost, it comes and it's gone. And it comes and it's gone. And, And so normally you would find the fact that joy would be a more enduring sort of an emotion that is long term. It it goes on beyond regardless of circumstance. And you'd be right. The book of Philippians is very, very key in unfolding as Paul. Where was Paul as he wrote the book of Philippians? Writing to the the people at Philippi. Where was he at? He was probably enjoying a joyful vacation in the Caribbean. He was in prison. He was literally in prison. And he was writing from 
from a prison cell describing to the Philippians, and if you had one word, if I was going to write for one word, and those of you that have been here a lot know this, there's one word to describe Philippians, we would say it would be joy. And Paul is in prison writing about joy. Well, glory be. What kind of a guy is this Paul? Has he got a problem mentally or what's going on? And we would go through Philippians and we'd say, you know, regardless of circumstances or conditions or thoughts or whatever going on, we do, in Jesus Christ, have the ability to be joyful. Praise God. Now, let's back off for just a moment and talk about what would you say that the typical American, and I'm saying them because we probably as a nation have been blessed I'm using, I didn't even use, use that word with a correct intention, but God has blessed America. We'd have to say that, right? Would you not agree? I think of it from its very beginnings. And I, I, I marvel at reading the, the battles of which General Washington and his, and his other uh, military cohorts were involved in. They shouldn't have had a chance to win a battle, let alone a war. God was involved mightily, triumphantly. And the reason being is because they gave God glory. They humbled their hearts before their God. We've since fallen out of the way of that as of recently. But I'm still thinking about all of the things that God has blessed America with. How would we have the typical American describe happiness? The pursuit of happiness. I deserve to be happy. I'm entitled to happiness. Now I'm using some terms that are maybe a little more... Up to date, shall we say. How would, how would, what would that look like? Tell me what happiness would look like. What would be a happy time for you or for this person as an American? I have achieved happiness. I am pursuing happiness and I've found it. And I deserve it. What would we say? No one's going to say anything because you think I'm trapping you, don't you? <laughs> yes. And you missed one thing, a vacation. Oh, of course, of course. Okay, now, now, and by the way, those are things that are actually being proposed and talked of, correct? Okay. Now, my question to you, <laughs> would that person or persons really, really have perfect happiness if that was just dumped on them? It won't get her done. In fact, some of the wealthiest individuals, the more they pursue happiness, the less happy they become. The more that you think you need, and the more you acquire, and the more that you get, if that's all it's about, if it's just the pursuit, you will be unhappy so it's interesting from that's what we needed to start with was the direction or the description of what happiness is how the world sees it and literally how Jesus Christ is describing it the things that Jesus says that you're going to be with divine joy or perfect happiness 
is not at all things that a world would seek or pursue after. There's eight or nine things that we'll find in chapter 5, and we're not going to even try to go very far today with that. But it's interesting to see the difference in actually being satisfied to be fulfilled in a world that has gone crazy. We would call Matthew chapter 5, these first 12 verses to me is a roadmap to perfect happiness. To perfect happiness. One of the things I'd also like to say is, as we described in a couple of those verses, speaking of God himself, do you think God is happy? He's perfectly happy. You would never hear of it that way, do you? But that very word blessed is perfect happiness, to be divine and joy. And you find that God, if he's not happy, why wouldn't he be? We could, and that's uh, he's that the long suffering side of God, long suffering. We're the part of making long suffering a reality, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. But God is my, as the Scripture describes Him, He's perfectly happy. He's fulfilled. He's satisfied. He's complete. Nothing missing. Nothing out of place. That divine nature, literally, turn your your Bibles. This is an interesting verse in where we're going today. Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, and let's look at Peter giving us a taste, if you will, of what happens as we are Christians that we become partakers. That's the word he uses. Second Peter, chapter one, and we'll look at verses three and four. Second Peter, chapter one, verses three and four. According, are you all there? Second Peter, chapter one, beginning of verse three. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Is that not a couple of fabulous verses? To think of that, literally, when, you, when, when you're in Christ, you literally have promises and you are a partaker in the divine nature. You know what that part of partaker is? Perfect happiness. Now, if you're not a Christian, happiness, as we've described it here, is impossible. It is impossible. It is something that comes from within. It does not come, if you're seeking, in fact, you know the perfect example of someone that had the, I tell you what, if there was ever opportunity to externally, on an exterior basis, to be satisfied to the utmost and to have gained anything that he possibly could have wanted, it was the man named Solomon. He made our heavyweight, wealthy people today look like lightweights. Solomon was unbelievably wealthy. You remember what he said about all of that? What did he say it brought? Let's even take a step back. What was it that he really, really was looking? There's two things in particular. This is what he just chased after at full speed ahead. There was two things. I call them the two Ps. He was really interested in pleasure, and he was really interested in possessions. Those two would sell big time in our country today, wouldn't they? But he had more opportunity, more money, more 
I just I don't even know what to say. If 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 you were Solomon having all of those opportunities, there wouldn't have been anything else that would have been missed that he couldn't have captured. And he still said this. It is all emptiness. It is all vanity. And if that's what you're seeking, if that's how you're seeking happiness, that is absolutely the end result. It will be emptiness. There will be nothing to it. It will be just fleeting. In fact, turn with me to, um, i got to think of where I, I think it's Proverbs. I know it's Proverbs. I think it's chapter 23. Have you guys ever had uh, too much of the month left at the end of the money? It happens, doesn't it? Proverbs chapter 23, I think, I'm hoping. Yeah, verse 5. Uh, Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 5. If this isn't true, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Isn't that exactly what happens? You, you can have a bank account that can be loaded, and literally that in a split second is just like that. Wings of an eagle and it's gone. <laughs> I think I can say I've seen that actually. I've experienced that. But you cannot fill a spiritual need with a physical substance. Jesus is talking about internal things. He's talking about things in the Sermon on the Mount or this time when he's gathered up. And to think of the fact that his opening line, as he is all of these people, I'm sure they were saying, what's he going to say? How is this going to go? And they all sit down. Well, I don't know if they sat down. He did, because that was the way the rabbis did it then. And the disciples are nearby. And then there were, certainly there was people that couldn't even hear him, let alone probably see him. And his opening line is this, verse 3. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What? What, what, what is he on? What, what page is he floating from here? What do you mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? And you're wondering, what is the poor in spirit? Does that have... Does that have anything to do with happiness as they would have seen it in that crowd that day? Now, you know why they were gathered there. Do you know why all those multitudes were there? Because they thought he was a great teacher? No. They wanted to hear what he said because he healed their diseases. They wanted to know what he had he said because he made their lives easier. Now, that would be something that would be categorically characteristic of people. And when you said, I'm going to make you happy. Paul, I'm going to make you happy. And right away, where's your mind? Well, there's not going to be any problems. Certainly wouldn't be any misery. And it'll all about be a better scenario for me, Paul, right? Now, is that what that said? We read the whole thing. We read the first, six, first 16 verses. I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to jump ahead for a moment because we'll come back to it later. But literally, if you go through those eight or nine blessed R's, and you're going to say, whoa, they don't even sound good, let alone, you know what? You could not be the salt or the light which the world needs unless you were engaged in those eight or nine wonderful, perfect joy lifestyles. And that's what Jesus wanted. Now, the other thing that we have to know, did you see he picked up the same message that the, uh, remember what John, what was John the Baptist's message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Right? Now, we read that exact same passage 
are the same message that Jesus gave. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, where was John during all of this? Remember, do you remember chapter 4, verse 1? It was just kind of like a, an afterthought. It was just like, and John was in prison. He's been carted off. That was Jesus's turn the key, got to get going. Now the ministry's ready. We're ready to go. And he says exactly the same thing. Do you know who was the most adamantly opposed to that message that John had? And adamantly opposed to Jesus Christ's message of the same? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were interested in what? They were interested in power and control and money and all of the things went with it. And you know what they really hated? Were the Romans that were holding all of this over the top of their heads. That was really, really bothering them. And if Jesus would have come out, especially in the opening inaugural speech, to take on the Romans, man, they would have been behind that a million percent. But did you notice? Now, granted, we just read a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes from chapter 5 to chapter 7. It's rather lengthy. It's nonstop. He unloads on things that they had never possibly even thought about. And to think that not one single political statement... Not one single societal problem taken on, head on. Not one. What's wrong with this guy? We would probably say the same thing today. Correct? And to think that Jesus took this approach, and he's literally looking at the inside. The Pharisees were very external. They saw everything from the... They, they majored on the minors, the little stuff. And they minored on the majors, the big stuff, and Jesus was always looking at the heart. He was always looking at the inside, which they hated him for. And guess where he's working on this project? On the inside. He's working on the inside. One other, let's see. That'll be fine. Um, so you look at the life patterns that Jesus is speaking about in True Believers. It's attitudinal, isn't it? It's about an attitude. How do you look at things from the inside? Because what you believe is how you will live. Remember the Pharisees on a bad day? What was a bad day? That was a normal day. Remember, those, remember there was a Pharisee and a, and a tax collector. In fact, I think I've got that written in my notes somewhere. That uh, they went to, to pray before the temple. Remember that? But let me see if I can find it. It's probably in Luke somewhere. Where did I find that? If somebody's got it, let me know. We're going to keep going. But it was, it was interesting that um, the Pharisee got up in the public square, and he says, thank God I am not like this publican over here and that I am truly a man of God. Now, <laughs> wow. Now, the tax collector, that's what the publican was. He was a tax collector, a Gentile no less, and he got down on his hands and knees and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve anything. Now, granted, a tax collector was not the most prestigious career to be held within the land of Israel. They were hated. They were despised because why? Because they collected money for the Romans. And of course, they kept a little. <laughs> a huge difference between these two. And you know which one that literally God would have seen as being humble? as being really inwardly focused, the publican, the tax collector. Because the Pharisee wanted to hide everything that was inside. They just wanted to pray right, 
look right, sound right, be right, and of course have about as much money as possible. Why did Jesus throw all of those out of the temple? Remember that? He got mad. Jesus got angry. Can you, is your Jesus the one that we worship in the Bible? Did he get angry? You bet. He was no wimp. He was no wimp. When there was things to be angry about, he was on fire. Remember we talked about to be invincible in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that wonderful verse that says, for all things work together for the good of those who? That love God. How do we know if we love God? We love the things God loves and we hate the thing God hates. Jesus hated the fact that those Pharisees and those religious leaders were taking advantage of those people that had come to God's house to pray and to take care of spiritual matters. They were selling stuff. They were making money on God. And Jesus said, enough of that for this day. He built a whip. I can, can you imagine? I, I'm, I'm certain that he was ferocious. He took care of business. My father's house is a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. I can hear him say it. He took care of business. And he's just as interested right now to make sure that people understand that this whole business is about an inward journey, starting from the inside, getting things right. And he starts with literally the first component of which every other characteristic, if you're a believer, will come from, and that is, as it's described here, is poor in spirit. You tell me what poor in spirit means. What does poor in spirit Right away, it's not a financial term, to be humble. To be humble. How many of you are really good at humble? Now, this is a trick. Don't, don't, don't fall into this one. I was going to ask, how many of you today feel that you're really good at humility? Nobody bit. Good. Thank you. Because if you would have raised your hand, you would have just lost whatever you thought you had. Humbleness, humble, humbleness is so elusive because as soon as we think we've got it, we lost it. In fact, be careful even when someone else tells you you're humble. Be careful what you do with that. Right? Humility. And yet it was something that not only God thinks a lot of, Jesus Christ in his opening line said, Happy are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And literally, quite honestly, if you don't come with humility, with a humble heart, you can't possibly see the fact that you need a Savior that you need a way to escape the burden and the heaviness of sin of which you have no way to get away from aside from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Humility. That's an attitude, isn't it? From the very depth of your heart, crying out. In fact, let's take a couple of uh, verses in Psalms that show us that crying out. Uh, Psalm chapter 34, verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18. 34, 18. Verse 17, we'll start. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Beautiful words there, as the Lord is close to those that are overwhelmed with humility. Then to Psalm chapter 51, the one where David himself had engaged in all of the sinful activity with Bathsheba. Amazing how that vortex of sin just literally sucked him in from adultery to murder. And on and on it went. But in verse 17, David says, 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. God is looking for a humble heart. He is looking for a humble heart. Now that's very out of step with, uh, with the country we've, well actually with the world, the whole system, the whole society. When's the last time you went to a New York bestsellers and picked up the book that was, it was hot, it was number one, How to Be Humble. Didn't find it, did you? Now, here's one you might want to stay away from. How, do, how I Became Humble. <laughs> might want to stay away from that one. Missed that one, didn't we? Whoever that author was, we missed that one. But we are out of step with the world. The American Dream. How would you describe the American Dream? What is the American Dream? No tricks here. Just, what is the American Dream? What would you say the American Dream is? Elusive? <laughs> no one can, can be stop what I want. No one can stop what I want. Yeah, that, that certainly could suffice. Can you get to the point in life where you don't have to do anything you don't want to do, and I can do anything I want to do, right? How did that work out? <laughs> Not when you're humble. That's exactly right. Because it wouldn't even be a thought process. And yet there are those. I remember one basketball player in particular. He quit when he was really, really good because he didn't have to do it anymore. And then he wanted to do something that he didn't, wasn't particularly good at. And you know what? He came back to play basketball because the American dream wasn't quite as wowser as it was meant to be, at least in his own mind. Again, that pursuit of externals just continually falls flat. Falls flat. There's an emptiness that's very apparent apart from God. We should not be boasting of our talents. I think of Samson. Think of, remember Samson? What do you know about Samson? Well, a number of things. What would you say about him? Really, really strong. He could do things that were incredible. Absolutely incredible. And where did that come from? Oh, it wasn't a great, wasn't a great workout program. It was a God thing, wasn't it? Totally a God thing. One of the, I think, one of the saddest verses in the Bible we'll find in Judges chapter sixteen. As you're turning to Judges chapter sixteen, think of this man that God mightily blessed, gave him abilities beyond, I mean, beyond amazing, and yet he was didn't even know. When God left him. And you know, he played, he played and played on the edge, right? Well, if you do this, then I'll be just like any other man. And, and it's getting closer. And then they're doing stuff with his hair, right? And that was something that had never happened. No one had ever, ever cut his hair from the time that he was born. And Delilah cracked the code. He, she cracked the code. And you know what happened. But the part that's so sinister, so crazy, is verse 20 of chapter 16 of Judges. Judges chapter 16. As you're turning over to Judges 16, 20, see if this doesn't sound like the book of Judges isn't depicting of America. You just keep going to 16, 20. I'm going to read you the very last verse of Judges, and that's 21, 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. <laughs> Sounds like the U.S. of A. Judges 16.20 says this. 
She said, this is Delilah, she was such a sweetheart. She said, the Philistines are upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself or just take care of business. And he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. My goodness. What was lacking? A humble heart. A humble heart. Turn to Luke chapter 12 with me. Luke chapter 12. This is a parable that Jesus spoke of. And regarding a man that had a lot. Verse 13, chapter 12 of Luke. One of the company said unto him, Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you were going to do the context there, you'd actually find Jesus was engaged in another speaking matter. And he was laying some things out. And right on the outside, this guy pops up and he says, Jesus, would you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? Everything, it just went right over his head. What's he thinking about? Himself. Exactly. Okay, so Jesus takes a moment. He pulls a parable out of his parable box, and he tells his story to this man that just out of the woodwork shows up and says, I want my brother to share with me. Verse 14, he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge over or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Aha! Did you see that was a key moment right there? Anyone that's trying to possess more in pursuit of happiness, you know what? That's not going to get it. doesn't matter. It doesn't count. Not only do you not get happiness, it doesn't mean, mean anything. This doesn't mean anything. He goes on to say, And he spoke a parable, verse 16, unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. Whoa. What do you think that brother did? Probably just walked to the nearest exit, right? Amazing how Jesus could just, just get right to the bottom of the thing and just push right on the button, couldn't he? He could just do it, couldn't he? Remember the rich young ruler? God, what, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well... How have you done with the commandments? Oh, well, I've kept them from the very beginning. All of them? <laughs> That's what I would have said. Really? And you know what? But he knew just where to push the button. He said, well, then just sell all that you have and give to the poor. What did he do? Found the nearest exit. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus just said, let's push that button. He had an amazing way of doing that. The woman at the well. It's off subject right now today, but you know what? He knew just where to push the button. And you know what? He was always concerned. Did you, you've always noticed about Jesus. He was always concerned about people's hearts. Didn't care about their money. Didn't care about the houses. Didn't care about... He, he cared about their hearts. 
He cared about the hearts. In fact, that's how he started this sermon. And you know what? We need to be concerned about our heart. Got to get that right. Got to get that right because that's where it all stems from. That's where everything comes from. A humble spirit, a humble heart. Back to Matthew chapter 5. Back to Matthew chapter 5. In fact, he starts off in this beginning of this long sermon in what is our attitude towards ourself. He wanted to make sure that we understood the importance and those, his audience that day, and it works just as well for us today, how important for us to be humble before a God. Now, it is interesting. We looked at the description of blessing. Tell me what the opposite of blessing is. I want a word for the opposite of blessing. Blessing means to be divine joy or perfect happiness. And the opposite of that is... One more time. Cursed. Cursed. Or the word woe. Woe. W-O-E. I don't like the woes, right? And if you go to Revelation and you get in the tribulation period, there's some woes going on in there, right? In fact, excuse me? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Absolutely. Let's go to, uh, I want to just, just show you this um, because it even makes more, I think, more adequate the, the message that God is giving, or Jesus is giving here. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. We'll find it, I hope. If not, I'll, I will find it. Matthew chapter 23. And let's just pick, yeah, that's perfect. We'll start in verse 1. It's, we'll just read into this chapter for a while. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. Chapter 23, verse 1. Verse 2 goes, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not you after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders. They themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. And make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not you called, Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all you are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant." And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Let's read that again. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Now watch carefully verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are going, entering in to go in. Verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16, woe unto you, you blind guides. Are you getting the woe thing? I mean, woe, right? Exactly. Now think of that. That's the opposite of what he said to those as he spoke to in Matthew chapter 5. Blessing, our perfect happiness to those that are humble, the first one, to be humble in heart. Pharisees were absolutely the opposite, just as those words are that way. Turn back to Proverbs 16.5. Proverbs 
chapter 16 and verse 5. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Any questions? <laughs> Class dismissed. That's about as clear as we can find it. What does God think of pride? He hates it. He has no use for it. No place for it. Pride must be broken. It has to be. Now, the other thing, I'm all, we're already, we're, we, I think we can already say this, that in verse 3, having opened that up in chapter 5 of Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could say where there's no humility, there is certainly no happiness. Let me say that again. Where there's no humility, there's no happiness. Where there's pride, there certainly is no happiness. Right? Pride literally. What, let's talk about pride for just a second. Not too long because we don't want to get hung up on it. But if you were going to describe for me, what is pride? I'm asking you the question, what is pride? And you would say, it's the opposite of humility. Okay, aside from that one that you would say, what would we say about pride? What is pride? Self-love. Self-love. Self-glory. Oh, isn't that, see, that's a, that's a really key component. That's a branch we need to go down for a minute. That's one of the things that, we, that, that really keeps us from having a humble heart is we don't compare ourselves to the right one. You know who we need to compare ourselves to to get the right picture is God. We need to compare our hearts to what God is asking for. The whole Old Testament is all about Adam's story, his failure. And, you know, the last verse of Malachi talks about a curse. That's, that's a, that's a, that first part of the Bible is really describing to us how we have woefully, that was a key word that I just picked, missed the mark. And who do we compare ourselves to? You make a great point. Because literally, as long as I'm better than somebody else, I'm in good shape. Right? But humility will never come that way. Because that all that does is boosts up and, and pride becomes ever so evidence. But when we compare ourselves to God... Ooh, right? Shrink. Get on your knees. Bow down. Ask for forgiveness. We really truly are worthless before a God that is so sovereign, so mighty, so omnipotent, so omni-everything, right? Key component. Key component. Do you see why God hates pride? Because it builds up things in the wrong places, in the wrong ways. Yes. There's another one. Go either way. Absolutely. What both of both of those courses literally pump us up. Why do you think gossip is such a hot topic? Because I'm well. I you know I nothing. But we're, we could just pray for this brother or sister. Let's pray for them, and then they unfold this whatever that makes us look better, right? That's why it's hot. That's why it's hot. Pride is such an evil, evil enemy. Now, it's just, I'm going to say this too, pride also has a way of having that, what I would call a self-humiliation. As Ryan said, you said self-love, okay? Humbleness is not thinking less of ourselves. It's not thinking of ourselves at all. 
Now, pride can just as well. Also, you can take that self, uh, oh, which I defacing as such. You, you, you just say, oh, I'm nothing. I'm a worm. I'm worthless. Do you know what the, the, the key was? I, 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 look at me. Pride is so sinister in how it grabs you and holds you hostage. God hates pride. Jesus Christ said, to start this all off, guys, this is my ministry. This is what I want you to see right now. I want you to know that to be partakers of a divine nature and to be fully and completely perfectly happy, you must start with a humble heart. Isn't that great? That's good stuff. And all the Pharisees said, huh? <laughs> what? We're not even going to talk about Rome? We're not even going to talk about how we can take care of them. Remember the zealots? That was another group in, in Israel. Their, their thing was they carried a knife around, and if they saw a Roman, they killed them. They took, they, took, they took the thing, the battle right to them. Jesus didn't say one thing about that. He wanted to talk about hearts. You know what we need in America today? We need to talk about hearts. We need to talk about hearts. That's where our battle's at. Have you seen what fear has done to this world? Militarily, we couldn't have accomplished this in 100 years. We have literally shut down the planet through the army of fear. Of the wrong thing. Now, when our hearts are fear, respecting, reverencing God, guess what? Humility becomes part of that very thing that Jesus is asking for. And guess what? You will be happy. And God wants you. In fact, think of Jesus Christ. I was just thinking of this. The night that he was going to be betrayed. And these crowds had started to diminish. Have you noticed that? It was just this crescendo. Here he's healing people and he's feeding people. And everybody wants to be around this Jesus. Did you, did, he fed us yesterday. Let us take care of this situation. And it's just crescendos. And then all of a sudden, he starts talking tough. He starts talking truth. He starts talking about hearts. He starts talking about things that are super serious. And they just kind of start petering away. They're gone. And that night, he had those 12 surrounding him. Last time they'd be together. And you'd think, now he knows what's happening. He knew exactly that this would be his last 24-hour shift. What would you do? Well, I certainly wouldn't be interested in worrying about their happiness any longer. Right? And yet, I, think, I hope I find it. I wrote it down, 15, John 15, 21 comes to mind. We'll find out if I'm right. That is not right. <laughs> All right? Very good. Knowing that, um, I'm going to keep looking. But on that night, I still am so impressed with what he did to get their attention. They're all there clamoring for who's going to be number one. I'm going to be in the cabinet. I'm going to be the head of this. And my brother's going to be the head of this. And we're going to, I mean, when we get in, when we're in like Flynn, and I mean, we're going to be, that's the ticket. And Jesus all of a sudden takes a basin and strips down to his waist and starts washing feet. Jesus, not Judas, Jesus. Now that'll quiet a crowd down. Do you see how he did it? He did it with service. He did it with service. And he said, I can't, for whatever reason, I can't find it. In my, it's not in my head. But he said that your joy would be full. That very night, 
that he was betrayed and literally offered up, offered himself up on the cross so that we could go free. He wanted to make sure that their joy could be full. John 10.10, we can go there. I know that. That's, that's, a, that's another one that speaks of his importance, of what he valued as importance of, of our true perfect happiness. John 10.10. John 10.10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I, Jesus, am come, that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Talk about abundant life. There isn't any more freeing or more happiness perfectly or divine joy you can have than literally being in Jesus Christ. The freedom that he gives you from what he accomplished is magnificent. And it's yours if you come to him with a humble heart. One of the key things to, uh, to happiness, that it, it, certainly even in my own life, or I want to I go back to one other thing. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, looking to the fact of the blessings that are awaiting you. Ephesians chapter 1, if you are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Think of that. That's what a, what a load that is ours. Not because of us, but because of who. Whose we are. So, now, another question for you. If someone came to you and asked, how can I become happy? I've tried, I've spent a lot of time, I've learned a lot, I've chased a lot. How? Oh, and by the way, I told them that you knew how to tell them how to be happy. That's why they came to you, okay? So now that person, as they come to you and they ask, how can I be happy? What would you tell them? What would you tell them? Be content. Be content. Okay? Certainly, again, coming from... A believer standpoint. If they don't, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if you're if you're here today and you do not know Him within the, the the reaches of my voice, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, you cannot be happy with perfect happiness. You may have those whimsical little things, those little thrills. How many of you like to go on a roller coaster? Anybody? Yeah, I, there's there's a couple times in there. Woo, that was good, right? But that's really the roller coaster of life. And if you're seeking happiness, it's just those little beep, 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 little beeps, little blips. I'm talking about the good stuff. I'm talking about the long-lasting stuff. I'm talking about divine joy and perfect happiness. Those are terms that we usually don't even say. So you're now going to tell me what you're going to tell them how to be happy. You said to be content. That's good. Because if we're content, we're in a great position. Now, how do we become content? Yes. Absolutely. And once you recognize that, you know, where that fear of you And what casts out fear? Love, which is literally what Christ epitomized. This has become one of my favorite verses in these times in which we find ourselves. Because this, again, we, should, we as Americans should be looking at our hearts. We should be looking at others. And we should really literally allowing the, 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 the love that is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 5. 
When that is happening, then literally watch what happens. Let's go to 1 John for a moment. 1 John, and we'll, chop, we'll start in, verse, in chapter 4. This verse is one that we should be sharing all over. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 17. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Herein, are you all there? Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now watch verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Where God's love is, there cannot be any fear. That's why Jesus spent an awful lot of time saying, fear not. Fear not. Those guys, as he was walking, as he walked on the water, and then all of those instances where they freaked out, and he said, oh, you have little faith. That's another thing. Where you have fear, there's no faith. Where you have faith, there's no fear. You have God's love, there's no fear. So we need a little more of those too, don't we? One of the things is we're coming back to, the, remember that question that you guys didn't answer fully? Now, you took a good shot at it because if we are content, you know what? Happiness is right around the corner. One of the things that we can really do that allows our happiness to become reality is to begin serving others. You know, when, I'm, when I've got that time frame where I'm all about me and I'm just, you know, that narcissism rules in this world. You could, you could make a t-shirt, nobody would buy it, but it would sell because it's the biggest thing going on. Narcissism in America is number one. It is sickening. Everybody's out for, well, you know how? Said it in Judges there, even did, remember? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. My truth is good as your truth. Your truth is good as his truth. Truth is truth. How could that possibly be? That's where we lost this whole war. That's where this thing started to unfold 40 or 50 years ago. When truth became to be whatever one thought, that was their truth. Totally bogus. Because then it's all about me. I'm the smart guy. Where's where humbleness went? Right out the window. Right out the window. But when we set back and we start to look at others' needs, we start to serve other people, you know what happens? All of a sudden, things start to take shape in the proper route. Fear is no longer an issue. Love begins to become a very extensive commodity. And literally, happiness is a byproduct that is yours. If you seek and pursue happiness solely, you will not find it. But when you're interested in doing what God wants with your life, it's all yours. Isn't that wonderful? And that's how Jesus started. This first inaugural speech is blessed or happy are those that are humble. And that is absolutely true. Let's close. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, that as a humble heart literally will take us to the feet of Jesus Christ. As we compare, as we talked about today, comparing ourselves to the Savior, comparing ourselves to you, Father, then we certainly come up woefully short. We come up in a worthless condition. But, Father, as bad as that sounds, you have made us invincible, as we've talked about the last several weeks. Because when we're in Christ, the power of the Spirit which dwells in us 
sheds your love abroad in our hearts, allows us to be everything that you want us to be. And as you continue to conform us to the image of your Son, which is your sole purpose, Father, then ours is, becomes a partaker of the divine nature and allows us to taste of that perfect happiness. Father, Jesus Christ spent a great deal of his life providing everything was needed to have perfect happiness. Father, I pray for our lives as, as we exit this place and we go out into a world of which you've designed our life journeys to rub shoulders with others that you have specifically designed for us to be part of their lives. We'd ask that the Word of God would be prevalent, that it would be spoken with, with strength, but from a humble and a meek and a quiet, gentle spirit. As Jesus, Father, the mind that was in Him, may it be in us, the model of humility, to think that God came to this earth in the form of a human, as a baby, God, and then living with the complete sole purpose of offering himself to the hands of those that hated him, being nailed to a cross, giving his life's blood to secure forever salvation. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for the gift, and you proved that it was adequate by raising him from the dead on the third day. We have so much to be thankful for, and that's what a humble heart will do, is it finds time and energy to be thankful, a heart of gratitude. Father, I ask that you would heal our nation, that you would go to individuals, Father, and call out to them so that they would examine their own hearts. May the Holy Spirit speak to them in a quiet voice that is calling and wooing them to a fantastic Savior. Father, we give, you a, we give you our lives. We thank you for your love. Thank you for loving us before we loved you. And now, Father, we raise your name on high. We thank you, honor you, and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.